Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. All right, now for the sermon. This is Matthew Farley. Matthew, say hi to everybody. Hi to everybody. This is what it feels to be like on uh, live <laughs> broadcast television. I know. It's apparently. weird. Um, but Matthew's going to bring us the word this morning from these amazing scriptures. So I'm just going to open up in prayer for him. And please join me from home. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the testimony of the kingship and the tender love of Jesus. Like we just prayed, Lord. Oh God, would you... Uh, breakthrough coronavirus and Facebook Live and uh, everything that's in our life right now, Lord, with anxieties and fears Mm. and uh, financial and economic struggles, Lord, and would you minister to us the power of your living word, Mm. which will outlast creation itself. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would anoint your servant now, Matthew, to minister that word to us. Give us receptivity, Lord, uh, to the words he's bringing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Scott. This is indeed a very strange experience, but we'll we'll get through it all right. So um, early in my uh, preparations for this homily, I received a a personal email in my inbox from NPR Chicago's uh, Steve Inskeep. Those of you who are from Chicagoland may remember uh, Steve Inskeep. But he said this, Matthew. News headlines from the past week have been tumultuous. The rapid spread of COVID-19 canceled events across Chicago and the entire country, a tumbling stock market. Yet NPR Morning Edition's host Steve Inskeep took this as an opportunity to reflect on the role of public radio during these times. He said this, what to expect from NPR on uncertain days? We stay calm. We will tell you the truth. All that we can get our hands on each day will tell you no matter how good or bad and keep it in perspective. Every one of us has been affected by coronavirus. It is an invisible force that's come upon our global human city, revealing tenuous, fragile nature of our lives and all that we create to give us security and modern comfort and happiness. We have come to see our vulnerability, our dependence, and how all of our security, small and great, can be taken from us in relatively short order. It's a strange reality, isn't it, that we feel occupied, exiled, and captive in our own homes. And aren't we looking for deliverance from this captivity? By this point, many of us can hardly take it anymore. Many of us are feeling that uh, old ennui that that Sinatra said, perhaps, or just the utter sheer boredom of now having watched Netflix for far too long. Though that's certainly not my story. Um, But I know some of you in this room have watched far too too much Netflix. Um, uh, But all in all, we wanna be free from this coronavirus captivity. So whether it's Steve Inskeep or whoever it is that you're looking for, uh, we naturally look to people in positions of authority, political figures uh, who will assure us that this pandemic will not become pandemonium, media sources to communicate the truth, because we know that in times like this is exactly what we need. We need truth. Um, We look to spiritual guides, gurus, uh, self-helps, public intellectuals who will offer us security. And friends, at the first Palm Sunday, Israel, like us today, were looking for political, religious, and uh, prophetic authorities. They wanted someone to free them from their Roman captivity. They, too, were captive in their own land. The scriptures prophesied that a coming Messiah, a coming king, um, would, would come to the people of Israel, but by and large, they could not see 
all of what that meant for them at that time. Their eyes were clouded. The Holy Spirit had not yet revealed the glorious person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but friends, the gift of the Holy Spirit is with us. We have that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been poured out upon the church. We know more than they did that day. But how will the Spirit glorify Jesus today? How will he come in and through these scriptures, through the liturgy that we have together, through our families? How will he come this morning? Let's pray for that end right now. Would you join me in prayer? Oh Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray and you come. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come where we know that when we lift you up, Lord, that you declare yourself the great I am or that you are drawing all people to yourself. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and Lord, move and work within our hearts. Lord, make our hearts your home, make space in the temple of our hearts, Lord, for your spirit to come and renovate us, Lord, transform us by your grace. Lord, meet us in our places of greatest need. So many of us, Lord, are in need of you now. Lord, need of your mercies, need of your healing, need of your comfort and peace. Lord, come by your spirit, we pray. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And uh, let's jump into Matthew's Gospel. If you have your bulletin, it's on page 5. Um, if you have your Bible, it's in Matthew chapter 21. Um, so page 5 in your, in your bulletin. So friends, the very source and life of stability for the people of Israel was God's own personal, empowering presence. Um, he provided himself in this presence for Israel by giving them three major spheres of access. And we see each and every one of them this morning in Matthew. The first is the prophetic office and the word of God. We see that in verses 4 through 5 and verses 10 through 11. The second is Israel's king and the reign or the kingdom of God. We see that in verses 5 through 9. And the third is the priesthood and the presence of God in the temple. We see that in verse 12 in particular, which is not put in your bulletin, but it's okay. We'll get there when it comes. Jesus enters all three spheres and begins to refocus all of these places, these people, and their functions all upon himself. This morning, I want to specifically to focus on two of them, the priestly and the kingly spheres. First, the king. In verses 2 through 3 in Matthew, we see that Jesus offers really strange instructions to his disciples that involve getting a donkey and a donkey's colt. And the request of these, Matthew tells us, was to fulfill the words of the prophet in verse 5. The prophet said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, in the foal of a beast of burden. This text is a near verbatim quotation from Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah, along with his contemporaries, Haggai and other minor prophets, are called minor prophets not because they're any less important to us, but rather because they're generally shorter than the major classical prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. But these minor prophets, friends, are extremely important. They're important because they provide some of the most concentrated material on the coming Messiah in the time in between the Old and New Testaments. Zechariah and Haggai speak of two central people, two people that are really important this morning, Zerubbabel and Joshua. I know that's a mouthful. Zerubbabel. Say that five times fast. Um, but let's get clear about who these people are. Uh, we see from Haggai 1, which is in your bulletin, uh, in verses 1 and in verses 12 through 15, Zerubbabel is a governor. He's governor of Judea, and Joshua at this time is the high priest. Zerubbabel was not the true king of Israel. In the absence of the king at this time, the locus of power and authority was being focused and concentrated on the high priesthood. And this would actually remain so up until the time of Jesus. But Israel was still looking for the return of the king. 
from the line of David. When Israel was exiled to Babylon approximately 600 years before Jesus, Solomon's glorious temple was destroyed. It was 70 years, 70 years, that Israel remained exiled in their captivity in Babylon. But now Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people of Israel were permitted to return to the land and they were tasked to rebuild the temple to reestablish that priesthood that had fallen into disrepair. But if you turn to your Haggai reading, it's strange, isn't it? Did you hear this morning that the people actually did not want the temple rebuilt? Some of the people did not want that temple rebuilt in their day. Hear those words again. This is on page 10 in your bulletin. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, that is the Lord's temple, lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does, does so to put them in a bag with holes. Friends, do you see the contrast here? The making and the spending, the getting and the consuming, the eating and drinking, and yet finding it is never enough, never fully satisfying. This is represented in their paneled houses, according to Haggai. They live as if these shoddy houses and their labors are enough for them. What does the Lord say to them? Lean into this with me. Look at Haggai 1, verse 7. He says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. What does that mean? It means examine your hearts. Attend to the, to the movements within your soul, the shape of your life. You who say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple of the Lord, consider your ways, examine your hearts. Brothers and sisters, it is the same, it was exactly the same in Jesus' day. In just two chapters from Matthew 21 and Matthew 23, Jesus will weep and lament over Jerusalem. He will say, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The crowds on that first Palm Sunday hailed Jesus as their king in verses 8 and 9. They spread their cloaks and their branches from trees and shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They know, they know very well that Jesus' actions are symbolic claims to the Davidic king, to the throne. Yet in spite of their joy and acclamation, this very same crowd, in one week's time, will cry out to Pilate, crucify him, mock him, hail king of the Jews. And why? How is it that this is possible? How has this happened in just one week's time? Friends, the reason for this is, and there's a warning for us here, is that Jesus did not behave like they wanted him to. Jesus had come with a different power, a different glory than anyone really understood. It was a patient glory that was otherworldly, truly from the highest heaven. He was not the messianic king that they wanted him to be. They wanted their Roman captors gone now. They wanted their exile to end now. But the teachings of Jesus throughout his ministry, the revelation of the character and the scope of God's kingdom and the depth and the breadth of their need for repentance, for cleansing and for healing, they could not yet fully grasp. All of what Jesus began to accomplish at first Palm Sunday was to wake them up 
and free them from a more enduring captivity than that of Rome. So what does this mean? What does, what does Jesus have to do? We'll look at Matthew 21, and it's not in your bulletin, but in verse 12, it says that Jesus entered the temple. Jesus entered the temple. This brings us to our second focus point, the priesthood and the presence of the Lord in the temple. Friends, why does he enter the temple? Well, the prophet Malachi says uh, that the Lord whom you seek, the Lord whom you seek, the Messiah whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple. Why? Friends, he's come to cleanse the temple. He came to rebuild the temple. And all of Jesus' actions, all of Jesus' actions all the way through chapter 24 are all taking place in and around the temple of Israel. And they're meant to prepare the way for a greater glory that would come, that more patient but oh-so-transforming Easter glory. Like Zerubbabel and Joshua before him, Jesus inaugurates Israel's greatest temple rebuilding. Through his death, resurrection, the giving of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would build his church on himself. He is still building his church. The church, which is you, which is me, which is Christ Church Madison, which is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church around the world, he is building that church even today, even during coronavirus. The Lord said to Haggai, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, both Solomon's and Zerubbabel's temple, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, listen, he says, I will give peace. We are all, friends, that latter, more glorious temple, living stones, a spiritual house. And Jesus still has the right of access. He still wants to enter the temple and to cleanse it. Friends, this really struck me a bit this week, but we are not so unlike Israel in Jesus' day, are we not? In Zerubbabel's day, we, they, they, didn't, they wanted to delay the temple building. Are we saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple of the Lord? In our endless strivings to cultivate modern comfort, have we neglected the house of the Lord? Scripture tells us that if we are believers, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Has the glory of the Lord departed from our hearts? Has coronavirus begun to expose how much we've trusted in our paneled houses? the shoddy sources of our stability and our peace. Maybe the Lord's words to Haggai are also words for us. Listen again. He says, Consider your ways. Go up to the, ha- to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much. You look for much. Those things that you saved and consumed, and behold, it came to little. They did not satisfy. And when you brought it home, I blew it away like chaff. It does not endure. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because my house, my temple, lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine and the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Dear friends, when I was preparing this homily, I was stunned by Haggai and how pointedly it speaks to our moment Have you felt your heart stirred as well? This captivity we're experiencing is so very, very difficult, more than we want, more than many of us, including myself, understand or fully know. There are some in our church I know that are enduring so much pain and so much suffering, anxiety of of, of a kind that I have not yet experienced at this time. But friends, that suffering, that emotional, psychological, physical, spiritual suffering is real, it is raw, it is disorienting, and we do not glory in it for its own sake. We never do that. But we are Christians and we do not waste it. The Lord is not wasting this time. One of his greatest glories is how he deigns, he stoops down 
to come to us. He enters into our suffering, into our lowliness. He is a humble king. That is the point of the donkey, the colt, right? He enters Jerusalem humbly. That is what we will do when we wash each other's feet, when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. That is the cross. He transforms us by his presence and power, and that is the story of Easter. And as we groan in our sufferings, we know that the Spirit of God enters those groanings anew each time. Paul says that Christ is, we are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The Spirit, the Lord, is groaning with us in our sufferings. That's in Romans 8. Read it. I believe this coronavirus upheaval is a time that we are given an opportunity to gain perspective, to receive clarity and heightened focus on what really matters, to grow in the love of God and of our neighbor, our comfort and thoughtless confidence in our modern conveniences often obscures this reality. At the end of, of, of his life, um, I, lived in, I lived with and cared with, uh, sorry, I lived with and cared for my father while he was dying of cancer. And I remember the physical, emotional, and spiritual groaning that I experienced under the utter weight of all of that. It was a, a very difficult time. In fact, it was my, my, my darkest time of my life. Um, every part of myself, my, my inner world, my outer world, my faith, my family, my relationships, my job, it was all just sort of focused in and concentrated and it just felt like this dense weight, this heaviness. Um, and, and there were actually days I couldn't even like get out of bed, it felt like. I had to just like crawl up the steps. Um, and when my dad died, I grieved and I groaned along with the rest of my family. Um, but, and I, I've been thinking about this so much um, in the last few days here, but for a while thereafter, a long while thereafter, um, the world, people, myself, uh, his creation, everything, the Lord's world became just so fresh to me. People became so fresh to me. All these things that really mattered in life became so vivid and so real. I wanted to soak in everything, take it all in, mm. savor everything as a profound gift from God's hand. I felt utterly overcome, even with simple things. Um, I remember it mixed with my grief. There came a strange nearness of God, too, through that time and through everything. The Lord gave me a deeper patience and love for other people. Um, oh, I want that now. <laughs> Truly, I miss what I experienced then. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a fresh time. It was very palpable in the Lord's grace. Friends, the greatest state of captivity Israel experienced was not Babylon. It was not Rome. And friends, it is not coronavirus. Amen. All of what they and we experience is an outworking of the captivity to sin and death introduced into our world in Genesis 3. Coronavirus has simply surfaced and made manifest and magnified yeah. that already present reality. What, what is that? Well, we have, capti- we have sort of captivity from, uh, from God, from, from his nearness, from his intimacy, from fullness of life with him, from one another, from, from our spouses, from our dearest friends and family, from neighbors, from ourselves. Think of what we f- we're facing daily, our own anxieties, the cares and worries of this time. What will it mean? How will we get through? Right? Our, our existential fractures, just our, our state of our souls or our minds. From the creation, what Hopkins calls the dearest, freshest, deep down things. We're so often separated from that. Every sphere has been tainted, maimed by sin. And Jesus, our great priest king, wants to enter with his authority and reconcile them, reclaim them, cleanse them, and heal them. This is the glory of Holy Week, friends. He wants to meet us now in this time in our coronavirus captivity 
Where is that for you most? What has been bubbling up in your heart and your mind um, at this time? So what do we do? Well, in chapter 2 of Haggai, which is also not in your bulletin, uh, the Lord says this. He says, work, for I am with you according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. That was their captivity. My spirit remains in your midst. The Holy Spirit is in our midst. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God working in us by his spirit. God is breathing life through his word and worship, through his people, through his created world. They all declare the glory of God. We've beheld the Lord's creation. Psalm 104 says that he clothes himself with the creation as with a garment. Have you reached out to touch the hem of his garment? Have you smelled the good tilled earth? Maybe you've heard the robins herald spring. How long has it been since you've really listened? Have you seen the blossoming of the crocuses? How long has it been since you've smelled the fragrance of the Lord? Adam named the animals. Might we name the animals? Might we learn their names? Might we even name them in strange new names? I don't know. But what it requires is that you look and that you behold them and that you see them for what they are, their being and their ways. And we give glory to the God of dappled things. Though we are practicing safe social distancing, my guess is that for many of us, we have seen more of our neighbors than ever before. Maybe we've even learned their names. I would not recommend naming them. <laughs> um, how long since we've seen, really seen, those beloved ones closest to us, their needs? How long since we ourselves have seen, been seen and known by them, by the Lord? How long since we've really set aside time to, to know and be known by the Lord in his word, by his spirit? When we come out of this captivity, and we will come out of this captivity, the Lord is good. Will we be able to say that we've considered our ways? Will we be able to say that we cooperated with the grace and the spirit of the Lord in this season? Uh, I want to close with um, a beautiful sonnet. We need more poetry in our life. One thing you should definitely do um, in this time of coronavirus captivity is read more poetry. It will save your life. Uh, John Donne. Randy's like, no, it will not save your life. <laughs> uh, John Donne is a 16th and 17th century poet priest. He's amazing. Um, he wrote some of the most beautiful poetry in the English language. And there was one particular sequence of sonnets um, that is seven sonnets that he's kind of bound or wound up together in the shape of a crown, so to speak that I hope will gather up all of our meditations this morning, our scriptures this morning, our prayers this morning, and may this be a prayer for you. But strangely, um, the sonnet is called La Corona. <laughs> um, it is called The Crown. Um, hear these words from John Donne. Deign at my hands, Lord, stoop at my hands, this crown of prayer and praise, weaved in my low, devout melancholy. Ugh. Do you feel that low, devout melancholy? Thou which of good hast, yea, art treasury. O Lord, you're good, you have a treasury, all-changing, unchanged, ancient of days. But what thy thorny crown gained, that give me. A crown of glory which doth flower always. 
With a sober, strong thirst, my soul attends. Tis time that heart and voice be lifted high. Salvation to all that will is nigh. Friends, this is a very, very difficult time. But with the Lord's help, with a sober thirst, may our souls attend to his patient glory in our midst. All he would do in our hearts, in our homes, in the house of the Lord. May we gain a crown of glory which doth flower always. Salvation, Hosanna, to all that will is nigh. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.